Inspiring solutions to save America one show at a time. Are you ready to get on board? When are you guys going to learn? The more you indict, the more we unite. Facts. It's Trump 2024. We don't care. You heard me? We already made our mind up. You already know when the hood got your back. Man, they deep in the hood. Gangsters. Talking about Trump 2024, you heard me? Woo woo! Wah! Gangsters! The hood got this man back. I'm just trying to tell you. You heard me? And we ain't we ain't stupid, man. American people, man. We ain't we ain't all them talking about lockdowns and back when the mask and all that. You know, they got a new virus coming and it's gonna be man nobody don't care. Ain't fooling nobody no more with none of that. You know, new jack, man, nobody. Nobody being fooled no more. We all the way up. You heard me? It's Trump 2024. That's what it's going to be because we ain't having nothing else. From sea to shining sea. Three hours of bold truth and excellence. The Wendy Bell Radio Program. Welcome back. Hour number three of the Wendy Bell Radio program is always a delight to be with you as we share common sense conservative values. So we are awakening. We are seeing the world for what it is. We are seeing the players for who they are. We see the threats that are out there and we question ourselves. What do we do to get involved? How do we make a change? Well, one of the people we enjoy more than anything is our national security expert, John Guandolo, former federal agent, Marine guy who knows about service, who knows about country. John, welcome back. So good to be with you. Thank you. Great to be on with you again, as always. All right. So you know what? I want to talk to you about something that I think a lot of us want to just drive by, and it's this idea of the folks coming across our border who we don't know. We don't know where they're from, what their ideas are. But I wonder how close these communists, these jihadis, if you will, how close they are to being in position to do whatever dastardly thing they want to do here. I'm feeling it's pretty close, John. Yeah, so from their perspective, they are able to, right now, they believe they're at the precipice. And uh, they have, I would say they have been for some time um, ready um, in a number of ways. And so my, uh, as you and I have talked about on this show, I think it's really important uh, that we understand that and that the border issue is just one piece of that. And I know you and your audience know that because you, you talk about it, but that's just, that's just one piece of it. But they are... The communist movement, the Islamic movement, uh, they have raised a ton of money. They have set their uh, infrastructure. They have set uh, everything they need. And I've reported on this for a number of years. You know, they've, they've built up their, uh, their battle plans. They've prepared. I mean, in some cases, like we talked a while back about FEMA and DHS actually providing grant money to jihadi organizations, including Hamas, by the way, in the United States, Hamas entities, uh, to physically shore up their mosques and Islamic organizations. I mean, so this is federal, well, taxpayer dollar going to fund our enemy. This has been going on for a long time, too, John. 
I want to ask you, tell me who who right now, and when we think of uh, jihadis, right, I'm going to think about back to um, Iraq and Afghanistan and people training on the jungle gyms and driving around in jeeps with these big guns, right? But these are people in our own government, John. These are people in our cities and in our states right now. Yeah, so I think a, a, a important part of this is that um, it's the, the people I call the suit-wearing jihadis. And I know we're going to talk a little more about that. But So you've got the military arm of the jihadi movement in the United States, uh, which is heavy. I mean, we have a lot of information, even in the unclassified realm, uh, about the everything from Hamas, Al-Qaeda, Islamic State, uh, Hezbollah, Iran, uh, cells in the United States. But the more devastating are the suit-wearing jihadis that are influencing the, the political landscape, the policies, uh, our war fighting at the Pentagon, at the, uh, the DOD writ large, uh, the Treasury Department, the National Security Staff, all that. That's, that's their main battleground, because if they can control our policy, uh, policy making and decision making process, which I would argue they have full control of that. Uh, the the game's up at at the federal level. That's scary to us. So tell me, how close do we think the government or the American people believe these folks are to being in position to do something that could fundamentally damage our country? Well, I still think, like I, I listen to, um. A lot of these influencers and people, I, I think, um, that are in touch with how how bad things are at some level. But this war is being fought. When you look at how the war is actually being fought and the level of sophistication of our enemies and that you can have real jihadis wearing suits, terrorists, Hamas terrorists, like Farouk Mitha being the Islamic advisor to, to you know President Biden, but more importantly, people uh, in decision making, you know, like uh, looking at the chief of staff for the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations, uh, being an Iranian agent. When you look at the level of uh, influence that they have inside our government, again at the decision making process. Mm-hmm. I don't think the American people uh, understand the collective, that all these Islamic groups, uh, all of them, I, I, I you know, put something out on social media a couple days ago, like, give me one national Islamic group that's not hostile. Please, somebody. Uh, and, you know, they just, we can't find one. And therein lies the problem. Um, and when you look at the communist movement in the United States, it's you've got the similar is the organizations that are leading the communist movement, whether it's democratic socialist, put Antifa and BLM aside, but uh, democratic socialist America, communist party, USA, green party, uh, any, any of those. And you look at the influence where there, there's literally executive decisions and uh, legislation coming through uh, and policy decisions on how, uh, intrusive the government can be. And again, you've, you have talked about some of that stuff. But the, the thing is, 
that is the stuff that lays the groundwork for them to come in and set everything up. So by the time they actually do that, uh, you know, the final series of pokes and prods at the Republic, you know, they've got us tiptoeing on a one big toe, and all they got to do is push us over. And that's how they do it. And this whole idea of political warfare, total warfare, uh, the majority of Americans don't understand that. So while I would say today, more than one year ago, there are many, many more millions, probably more Americans that realize things are really bad because they still don't understand who the enemy is and how they're doing what they're doing in a large enough number, it leaves us still in a precarious situation. Right. And again, we go back to what you and I have talked about. It's at the local level. We have to do this. Everyone is focusing on the presidential race. I mean, it seems like it. Maybe I'm wrong. But it seems like all the talk is about the presidential race. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't matter as much as people think it does. Of course, would it be better to have somebody that has a respect for the Constitution and is a patriot in the Oval Office? Of course, that could be helpful. But the entire bureaucracy the Treasury Department, the Agriculture Department, Health and Human Services, the, you know, you just go across the board, is controlled by these adversaries. The bureaucracy is controlled by the adversaries at the federal level. So it's at the local level, not even at the state level, that this stuff needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Now, you can do some blocking at the federal and state level, really at the state level. I think at this point, Calling your congressman is such a useless move, right. but it's probably still something you can do as long as it takes you less than five minutes. I just, it's all about fortifying your local level. Right. Did you see the story about these brothels in D.C. and in, where was it, Boston, I think, where they had these uh, Chinese nationals or whatever. They were sleeping with all these folks and trying to get state secrets out of them. And they were saying this could be Russia, China, South Korea, even Israel behind all of this. That's threatening, too, to us, John. Right. That's right. And it's. Uh, I think, you know, I have been saying for, I would say, going back to 2004, uh, when I was still in the in the government in the FBI, that this this entire war, the communists, the jihadis, their their collaborators and their financiers, this is uh, much more an espionage and counterintelligence war than it is about terrorism or about physical kinetic violence. They use the violence to advance the much much larger uh, non-violent, non-kinetic part of what they're doing, which is the main effort. That's the main effort. When they use violence, they're using it to make a turn in what they're doing somewhere else. And that's, that's the key. So these kinds of things have ramped up, number one, because the U.S. has no really viable counterintelligence apparatus. Uh, that's a whole bigger discussion, but that's, that's the way it is. And number two, you've got an administration in the White House that's treasonous. Yes. That's flat-out treasonous. That's exactly and, what it uh, is. I, I, the fact that Americans, uh, you know, and I think Americans are stewing, and they're looking for how do we do this. And again, I think you got to begin with fortifying your local community. You know, you 
And we could talk more about that if, if you want. Yeah, I, well, I, here's what I was going to say. I was going to say beyond the community, you got to fortify the family. The all-out assault, these organizations that they're launching on the American Family Unit. This is exactly you all. You've got to hear this. National security expert John Guandolo continues right after this on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. Welcome back. National security expert John Guandolo with us. We talk every week about the the communist and the jihadi threat that's here in America. It's easy to look at the southern border and to imagine all of these people from God knows where taking up arms against us, doing things that are nefarious when, in fact, John has told us again and again. The real threat is already here. And these folks, John, need to topple the American family. Because if you read the Communist Manifesto, and by the way, I have a handy-dandy copy in my hand right now, it really is very basic. It's about destroying those family units, the traditions that make us who we are. And this has already been in full play. Yes, that's right. And if you, again, brilliant, if you actually read their stuff, uh, which... It appears to me in the last 20 years of doing this, uh, none of our generals and admirals have actually done that. They haven't read Sharia. They haven't read the Communist Manifesto. So uh, they're, that's why they're getting their asses handed to them, as a side note. Uh, but you are, and many of your listeners are, but if you just read their stuff and you look at their goals, you know, it says, uh, you know, you literally go after the nuclear family. And all of the, this is the, the thing that you, your listeners, I don't know how to better encourage people to understand this, but these movements and these lines of operation are so well coordinated. Mm-hmm. And whether you go back to the, uh, well, you look at the, quote, LGBTQ movement, that is a communist line of operation. That's BLM. It's like BLM. Yes, that's right. And and it was always going to go. They always have the next several steps ready to go when when one is faltering. And when you look at uh, how they've infiltrated the school system so that we're producing young people that are so dumb uh, in in some communities where you've got people huge portions of high school graduates in some communities are reading it like a seventh grade level mm-hmm. or eighth grade level. They're not where uh, we were 50 years ago, for instance. Um, so we're getting dumber. And you, you, everyone's seen these man-on-the-street questions. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the significance of July 4th? And people look at the camera like, uh, I should know this. I mean, that this stuff isn't accidental, and it's up to us to defend, but it's more, it's the destruction of God in the community. Yes. It's pushing God out and and more importantly because the the moral standard for our law and government is the law of nature and the law of nature's god again legally defined as natural law and holy scripture that's supposed to guide us morally when we look at it's a republic so it's not the majority rules it's majority rules and the rights of the minority are respected and you have to have a moral standard for that to actually occur and the fact that not only uh, has that in the last, I would argue, 40 years been really assaulted at an increasing level, now you've got, again, as you've been reporting, people who do advocate basic uh, 
founding principles are being attacked mm-hmm. as crazy uh, white nationalists. And that, again, is another uh, operation that, so they get us coming and going. Um, and, and that really is that assault on the family. And this is why when we look at the principles of actually winning the war, uh, you have got to. When we talk about, when I talk about fortifying your local community, it has to include reestablishing the founding principles at the county level. Mm -hmm. And that means pushing things back. First of all, I would argue the public school system in most jurisdictions in the United States, and uh, someone could argue, hey, 50% are okay, 50%... Okay, I don't buy it. I think it's a, a large majority failing of public schools are intentionally indoctrinating children. Yes. Uh, I know that's not shocking to anybody in your audience. Away from all these things and in line with the Communist Manifesto and their objectives in the United States. It's the emasculation of, of men. Yeah. yeah, it's it's about the wussification of men, this toxic masculinity ideology. You've got to get through dad to get to mom and the kids, and that's what they want. That's right. And, and they are. You know, I just, uh, <clears throat> for the first time, actually spent uh, what I would say a considerable time, uh, probably half a day, not a lot, but still a considerable amount of time looking at, you know, the mental health profession. And again, what I do is I look at the Communist Manifesto, I look at their objectives, and one of their objectives is they use yes. the psychological, the psychiatry profession basically to take authoritative control, and then they say we dominate the psychiatric profession with our people. Right. And you see the data, real data, about what we're saying about mental health is absolute, like everything else. It's a, it's like, a, it's the sa- it's yes, it's the same playbook. You're absolutely right. Once you guys identify the playbook, you can see what's going on, and then you know how far they've actually advanced. John Guandolo, national security expert. Thank you for your time and expertise, sir. Hey, you know what? Why Harvard's new interim president may actually be worse than Claudine Gay? Next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. All right, so we've been following this whole Harvard story, and the Harvard story really has very little to do with Claudine Gay. We've been watching this from many different altitude zones. First of all, we were down in the trenches with it. We were following the plagiarism. It started with her horrible performance before that congressional committee. You know the story, right? It is such a lackluster development. And Harvard Corporation, if they think it's going to go away because they made a deal with Claudine Gay to limp into the into the shadows and retain her million-dollar salary and, and to continue on as a professor, if you're a plagiarist, ought you be in education? No, what you're doing is what the Catholic Church did with pedophile priests. Ooh, well... <laughs> You know, it's bad over here. So uh, we're going to remove said person from this parish. And instead of dealing with the problem and, and fixing the problem and being honest about the problem, and the problem is freaking huge, we're going to just shuttle this guy over here. And uh, hopefully he doesn't hurt anybody else. Oh, perfect. That's all you're doing. 
Claudine Gay was an idea. She ascended into that position to fulfill the idea. You mean to tell me that there are not black women out there who are preeminently qualified, who could do that job, who are not serial plagiarists? Really? Of course there are. What are you doing? So here's the story that we've got to be careful. If you've ever wished for a boss to get the, the axe because they're terrible and then you have a new boss who comes in who's worse and you're like, I never thought I would say this. I just wish I had that other clown back. That might be one of these situations. And here's why I say this. How about this headline? This is from the dossier. The dossier, this is by Jordan Schachtel. Harvard's interim president is a Bill Gates flunky who's received over $7 million from Big Pharma. I'm sorry? Wait, say that again. So the guy who's going to fill in in the interim way to be Claudine Gay as president of Harvard is some guy connected to Bill Gates who's profited $7 million with Big Pharma? Huh. Huh. How do you say so? Well, let's dig a a little bit into this. His name is Alan Garber. He's the school's longtime provost, and he apparently is stepping in as this interim guy. So who is he? A college classmate and longtime admirer of Bill Gates, which immediately makes me question your integrity, right? Dr. Garber has made a killing through his appointments on the boards of pharmaceutical companies. During the COVID era, and these are fighting words to those of us, because we're still on the hangover of what that really meant. During the COVID era, he was best known for his fear-mongering proclamations and his successful lobbying for government spending to the tune of trillions of dollars to, quote, combat the virus. The Boston Globe describes the academic physician As a man who, quote, helped guide the school through the COVID-19 pandemic, but that guidance doesn't seem so independent, to put it mildly. Using the CMS Open Payments database, the dossier has discovered that Garber has received a stunning, stunning $6.7 million from pharmaceutical companies from 2016 to 2022. You guys, that's more than a million dollars a year. How is this any different than folks in Congress with insider trading? It's not. $6.7 million. Those two companies are Excelixis Incorporated and Vertex Pharmaceuticals, through which Garber serves on their respective boards of directors. Oh, isn't that tidy? We're going to put somebody who's in high muckety-muck levels of Harvard, And we're going to put them on our board so that we have the illusion of integrity. Except Harvard has lost its integrity through this debacle. This dude's gotten rich. Just like Stefan Bansol or whatever his name is. Just like Albert Borla. Just like all of them. These two companies apparently pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars in stock options. What could possibly be a conflict of interest there? As a board member of Vertex, Garber earns almost half a million dollars in stock options a year. Vertex is a strategic collaborator on mRNA medicines with Moderna. Taking 2023 into account, Garber has received at least $7.5 million 
in pharma payments since 2016. That's on top of his 950000 plus annual salary at Harvard. Damn, I should get a job there. What are we doing? When reached by the Harvard Crimson, a spokesperson for Vertex said that, quote, Dr. Garber's payments are the lowest on our board currently. Oh, oh, well, then I'm not interested anymore. That's your excuse. Well, he he's not getting paid as much as these other dirtbags are getting paid to tell everybody to get our vaccines, right? He's his payments are the lowest on our board currently, dismissing the idea that there was anything unethical concerning his role with the pharmaceutical company. I will remind you of this. Harvard was one of the most authoritarian campuses during COVID with university leadership, including Garber, instituting both vaccine and booster mandates while firing all staff that refused to accommodate the mRNA mandate. Little authoritarian little man complex there, Mr. Multimillionaire Garber is. Dr. Garber, excuse me. That policy did not make any room for health considerations. I'm sorry, you've got you've got other conditions going on in your life. I don't care. Get the shot. Because this guy was getting some payment. Dr. Garber hasn't published much scholarly work while at Harvard, but he has commented on COVID-19 in pretty high-profile publications. In late March of 2020, he co-authored a piece in the New York Times, which was modestly titled, Will Our Economy Die of Coronavirus? Look, all we want are honest, ethical, quality people. Not complicated. If that makes you, if you're black and you're that person, fantastic. If you're gay and you're that person, fantastic. If you're not, get out. This Dr. Garber hack, who doesn't seem to be moving the needle on intellectual integrity at all, has really dirty fingerprints. So I ask of you, which do you think is better? The black woman plagiarist who apparently doesn't think anti-Semitic behavior on her campus is a violation of any kind of code of conduct? Or a dirtbag white guy who thinks he's all that because he's got a PhD who's in bed with Big Pharma and making policy decisions that are dictatorial, a la Fauci, and who's getting super wealthy off of it. I don't know. But until this rot is carved out and excised from these colleges and universities, as Bill Ackman says they must, demanding the entire board resign, this ain't changing anytime soon. All right, so we got to switch gears because you know how I feel about this time in the show. It's my favorite time of the week because... I need some good news, baby, cause like the world's going crazy. Give me some good news, baby, give it to me, give it to me. So Steve Hartman, CBS, on the road doing the best feature journalism there is out there. And he found a story which is very sweet. It's the call of a lifetime. He takes us to Indianapolis, where a quiet and small man in life did some very big things in death. And you got to hear this. It'll make you smile. Go. 
Here at Teacher's Treasures, a free store for educators who need school supplies, Executive Director Margaret Sheehan is still stunned at her good fortune. It was an act of amazing kindness. After someone called to offer her nonprofit more than a million dollars. To which I responded, I need to sit down. And it wasn't just her. For the past two years, across the city of Indianapolis, dozens of other nonprofits have gotten the same call. The first thing he said is, what would you do with a million dollars? We hovered above our own bodies, <laughs> thinking like, is this real? The man making the calls was attorney Dwayne Isaacs, and he says just about everyone had that same reaction. Okay. Some wouldn't even hear him out. Probably three or four different entities that lost out because they just didn't take my call. Lost out on a million dollars. Yeah. It was that unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And you still haven't heard the most unbelievable part. The money isn't his. He's just the executor. The money belonged to a guy named Terry Kahn. Terry worked 30 years for the Veterans Administration. He had no immediate family, and most importantly... He just was unbelievably frugal. Terry lived in this modest house in South Indianapolis, drove an old Honda, and refused to carry a cell phone because he said they cost too much. Even when he died back in 2021, he wanted no announcement because who would spend good money on an obituary? The man was Pennywise, but pound generous. Everything was directed to charity, but Terry didn't specify what charity, so Dwayne called around to see who wanted it. And in the end, about a dozen nonprofits took his call and got a share of the $13 million estate. So, yeah, it's crazy. Including wow. $1.5 million for teachers' treasures, roughly double their annual budget. Forever changed because of his choice and how he lived. He's smiling someplace, there's no doubt about it. He would be getting a kick out of this. Yes. If only because he just got a glowing obituary on CBS News. And it didn't cost him a dime. Aww. Steve Hartman, on the road in Indianapolis. What a great story. What a great story. You never know. You never know how people live their lives or what they're going to do with it. All right, do not go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up next on the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Important stuff. It's Bad Joke Friday. Duh. Next. Welcome back to the Wendy Bell Radio Program, my friends. All right, so this is the time of the week that we get to be silly. Uh, we get to tell you bad jokes. The, the whole, I guess the whole crux of what we're trying to do here is just remember, at the end of the day, even though we talk about some cruddy stuff, life is really good. And every now and again, you have to be silly and you have to laugh at something stupid. And that is what this is, my friends. So without further ado... Ladies and gentlemen, I just flew in from New York and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Anywho, <laughs> welcome to the comedy club. Won't you give it up to Wendy and Brock for Bad Joke Friday? All right, as always, Dr. Richard Rafferty with our first joke. A stingy old man who'd been diagnosed with a terminal illness was determined to prove wrong the old saying that you can't take it with you. 
After much thought and consideration, the old man finally came up with an idea on how he could take some of his money with him when he died. He instructed his wife to go to the bank and withdraw enough cash to fill up two large trash bags. (laughs) He then directed his wife to take the bags up into the attic and place them directly above his bed. He thought his thought was that when he passed away, he would reach out and grab the bags on his way up to heaven. Well, several weeks after the funeral, the deceased man, the deceased man's wife, I should say, was in the attic cleaning up when she came across those two bags of cash. She shook her head and laughed and said, that silly old fool. I knew he should have had me put that money in the basement. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? I missed it. I, 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 I don't get it. Uh, oh, it's pathetic. I don't know. He well, was upstairs. She should have put it in the basement because he was going to hell. Oh, That's it. There we go. Wow. La- I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm educated, but sometimes not that much. There and you go. My wife says she's <laughs> leaving me because my obsession with poker. Oh. I think she's bothering Oh, God. Bluffing. Uh-huh. A wife's eulogy at her husband's funeral. Norman needed a blood transfusion, but his blood type was not on record. So the doctors asked me if I knew what it was. They urgently needed to know to save Norman's life. Tragically, I had never known his blood type, so I only had time to sit and they said, can you say goodbye? I'll never forget how supportive my Norman was, though. Even as he was fading away, he kept on whispering to me, be positive, <laughs> be positive. <laughs> That was my Norman. I was thinking of others. <laughs> Why did the mushroom go to the party? Why? Because he's a fun guy. Oh, well, there you go. Did you hear about Mr. Cup? Well, yeah, his wife left him and now he's solo cup. Oh, I went to the zoo that only had one animal. I can't say this. <laughs> my wife asked me to put ketchup on a shopping list. Uh-huh. Now I can't read anything. Oh my gosh. My favorite smoke shop turned into a J. Crew clothes, but no cigar. (laughs) What did the peanut butter (laughs) say to the bread? I don't know. Quit loafing around. What did the bread say back to the Mm -hmm. peanut butter? What? I think you're nuts. Okay. I went to this toy store. I asked the manager where the Arnold Schwarzenegger dolls were. And he said, I'll be back. I'll be back. Oh, yeah, it. It, I know. it was I, a bad joke. It was a bad delivery. I'm what sorry. kind of light did Noah use on his ark? <laughs> a floodlight. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Why can't you trust stairs? They're always up to something. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what is green and can't sing? Oh, I'm sorry. What is green and can sing? Ooh, green and can sing. Yes. I have no idea. Elvis Parsley. Oh, my gosh. That was just <laughs> bad either way. What kind of sandals do frogs prefer? Open-toed. Oh, God. <clears throat> Last night, my wife asked me, is it just me or is the cat getting fat? <laughs> Apparently, it's just you is not the right answer. <laughs> I'm like, as a person is walking down the street and here's a bunch of people in a fenced in yard shouting, 19, 19, 19. Curious, he walks over and looks through a hole in the fence. Someone from the other side pokes him in the eye and they all start shouting, 20, 20, oh, 20. <laughs> when my kids are sad, I let them color in my tattoos. Oh. They just need a shoulder to crayon. Oh my gosh. Somebody had to come up with that. Honest to God. All right, man's nagging wife. 
died on a trip to Jerusalem. The funeral director says, sir, it would cost about $45,000 if we send her home to the States or 500 bucks if we bury her here in Jerusalem. Ship her home, says the man. But no sir, way. wow. But sir, why don't you bury her here in the Holy Lands and save the money? The husband says, long time ago, a man was buried here and three days later <laughs> came back from the dead. <laughs> I can't take the chance. <laughs> Me, I broke my leg in three places. Doctor says, then don't go to those places. Oh, my gosh. An invisible woman married an invisible man. Their kids were nothing to look at either. Why did the man's jacket catch on fire? Why? It was a blazer. Why did 2023 (laughs) go by in a blur? My resolution must have been too low. I... Oh my goodness. I don't know. What did you call what what do you call baby sheep rolling down a hill? Baby sheep rolling I don't know. A lamb slide. My New Year's resolution was to drop my bad habits, but no one likes a quitter. <laughs> That's what I say about leftovers. I know. Secretary, the invisible man is here for his apport- appointment. The boss tells her I can't see him. An opt- Not invisible jokes. I know. An, opt- an optimist stays up until midnight to see the new year in. A pessimist stays up to make sure the old year goes. I agree. An iPhone and a firework were arrested on New Year's Eve. One was charged and the other was let off. That's not bad. I'm here because of my motivational skills. Mm-hmm. Everyone says I, they work twice as hard when I'm here. Right. What happened to the person who stole a calendar on New Year's? Well, I got 12 months. I know, ladies, and I don't create them. I just read them, and sometimes poorly. That is the Wendy Bell Radio Program. We're delighted that you guys were with us this week. Hey, come on back. Come on back on Monday. We'd love to see you. Wendy Bell Radio Network app, Wendy Bell Radio Podcast. Until then, peace.